For the next 45 minutes, enjoy the fall and rise again of Jorge Martin. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. So I heard you've been missing the biking shows. Well, today's your lucky day. It's a biking episode of M101, and welcome to episode 483. I am your friendly neighborhood host, as ever, Dre Harrison. And we're talking to you a little bit later on in the week, but good news. We are finally doing a bike episode again. The boys are back in town. To borrow a line from another podcast, Ski Woe. Dab. Um, yes, uh, it's it's great to be back again, uh, talking to some bikes on Motorsport 101. It's been a little while, forgive us. Uh, one of our co-hosts, who's a pivotal part of our biking coverage, has sadly been, as you've probably been informed already, has been a little bit under the weather um, for some time. But, uh, we're, we're, well, and he still is to a degree, unfortunately, but he's well enough to be on the show, at least. And we're very I- grateful for his time. <laughs> uh, well enough is relative. I just think you're committing to the bit of uh, being like most MotoGP riders this year. I'd rather, I'd really rather not. Riding through it. Riding <laughs> through it. Or in this case, not riding through it. Because, uh, I mean, we basically got confirmation that we're never going to have a full healthy grid this season. There's still there time just... for, for everything to turn around at Valencia. Just <laughs> you wait. We are, we, we, we're we very are... far apart on this. We are guaranteed to have 19 of the 20 rounds and not have a fully healthy grid. Valencia is literally the last chance if Alex Rins is healthy um, because they found a complication in his in his leg recovery. He will miss um, the Japan. Uh, sorry, the Japan, sorry, the Qatar and Sepang rounds coming up over the next two weeks. He might be healthy uh, for Valencia this season. Fanati would be in his best interest, given he's due to test the new Yamaha he'll be joining in 2024, the Monday afterwards. Um, so it, I assume he'll try and get back for Valencia um, and that test and see if he can ride through the pain. But uh, it just goes to show you just how fucking mangled his leg was in the first place, which what a great way to start the podcast, by the way. We're bright and cheery as ever. Um so it's yeah. crazy because I, I would argue, um, and, and this is just from what I've heard and from what few highlights I've seen because I've been very busy uh, not watching MotoGP, watching other <laughs> stuff that live in we're person. Gonna, we're we're going to talk about the best race of the year and probably not even close. Yeah, and it, amazingly, it wasn't Phillip Island. It's weird how these things turn out. Um, Phillip Island was really good. Buran was outstanding, and uh, it's kind of weird how the polar opposite happened. I talked about this a little bit on our F1 episode, how Formula 1 was kind of boring in Brazil, and yet it still gave us a lot of newsworthy stuff to talk about. Buran was a fantastic MotoGP race where we didn't actually learn anything, and and that's part of the joy of it, I suppose. Um, Swings and roundabouts in that sense. So because Cam's been a little bit under the weather and because RJ's also been very busy, obviously, doing his American whistle-stop tour of motorsports. Um, as a result of all of that, we've kind of put MotoGP off a little bit until now, and this is the last off week we get for the sport. So what better time than now to catch up with, like I said, the fall and the rise of Jorge Martin over the last two rounds because he left Phillip Island in a bit of an embarrassing state and slightly damp. Um, we'll get into that in, in, in momentarily. But came back at Buriram and doubled up there. So... 
Yeah, it's it's we're in a kind of a weird spot at the moment here. Um, but uh, we'll catch up over the next forty-five minutes or so on both Philip Island and Biriram as we head towards the decider, um, or the deciding triple header of rounds to close out the season. So as you can probably guess, our Joe Condell is here, Cam Buckley is here. We'll get into that very very shortly. But first, the places you could find us. So we are on uh, we're on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101 or x.com or whatever the fuck you know, wants to call it next um no, you had it right the first time yeah i'm never going to i'm never going to call it x any, anything other than ironically um i still love that even in the emails it says brackets formerly twitter which is just if no, you ever no 100 playstation free <laughs> it's it's like if you ever wanted to hear a man be really really emotionally insecure about his 46 billion dollar investment put the old website's name in the email headers kind of says it all really um anyway you can find um our, our account on there at motorsport underscore 101 you can follow us personally at dre underscore wtf1 at rj o'connell and at c buckley 917 um if you, if you want to catch up with all of our episodes of the podcast and our written content you can on our website motorsport101.com we've got some bonus thoughts from yours truly on f1's brazilian grand prix also keep an eye out in the next two or three weeks it'll be season review season again coming up very soon and i've got big old long form stuff regarding that coming up. i know you guys are a big fan of that so uh yeah some good old-fashioned long-form shit coming up um for people asking yes and jason is reminding me in the chat because he never brings it up uh, the motorsport 101 awards are back at the end of november as well yeah! uh, so after season reviews are, are are done we'll be also doing the award show as our christmas special later on in december so do stay tuned for that um find our tweet i believe i've pinned it on the profile that the m101 awards are back i'll do that afterwards anyway but uh, yes you can vote you got to the end of november so you can you can wait until the seasons are over but if you're that sure that alex polo is the driver of the you can get your ballot in now if you so choose on our twitter account motorsport underscore 101 um find the uh pinned tweet there about uh the the uh, the ballots for it and uh in december we will do that if you're really lucky, so you can back us financially on Patreon as well. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our shows before they're gone after the public. And you can donate at the $10 level to get access to the supporters club of our Discord server. We can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. It's Jason is doing so right now. Um, he's only put in the last seven messages. What, what, what a dedicated trooper. Um, so all of that is for your listening pleasure. Right, without further ado, let's get into the MotoGP catch-up episode. Let's talk Phillip Island first. Yeah, lots to catch up on for me, for everybody else listening. Uh, let's start at Phillip Island and let's get the weather out of the way here because this was one of the things I was actually hearing about. I was hearing about it driving back from Circuit of the Americas back to my Airbnb and everybody in the Discord call was waiting out what seemed inevitable with the with all of Sunday being canceled. So let's just rewind a bit. Philip Byron had an erratic weekend with two schedule changes. Here's a brief timeline events. On Thursday, there were forecasts predicting winds as high as 50 miles per hour. 
MotoGP announced that the sport will swap the Grand Prix and the sprint races around to protect the Grand Prix. So the Grand Prix is now on Saturday for the big show with the Moto2 and 3 races unchanged. They're still on Sunday. Saturday comes around. We have another schedule change as the sport attempts to beat the weather by pulling all the days running back an hour as the morning weather looks better. And we do get all that in. Then we get to Sunday. The MotoGP race is very, very wet, but runs to a finish. Then as Anshu wins, Moto2's race is stopped after nine laps due to heavy wind. Tony Alberlino was declared the winner, but only scored half points out of Aaron Cannett and Fermin Alger. But MotoGP sprint is canceled with no forecast for the winds to die down. That is where I ended the picture. That is when everybody was just like, yep, we're done here. So, Trey... How do you think Dorna handled these conditions? Well, I've mentioned it before on this show. I will mention it again on this show. We're going to have to have some serious dialogue about climate change and how it's going to affect motorsport in the coming years because we forget Phillip Island is, you know, an island. Islands have their own microclimate and sometimes it gets a bit blowy um and yeah this was not ideal it was it was it was being warned in the days leading up to the race that there was going to be strong winds and the weather was going to be awful on sunday which you mean is the way to combat climate change is not to complain about your high your large vehicle getting taps more in the ulez zone in london Oh, no, no. Like, we, we love that here because, because we Brits love to be angry at shit. It's what we do. Um, better than anyone else in the world, just be begrudgingly angry and petty about shit. And the, the ULEZ is one of those things. Um, no, I was going to say, like, th- this this was obviously an unideal situation for Dorna. Unpredictable weather is never ideal for anyone. Phillip Island this is already a unique round. This is the only round where there is special dispensation on rules regarding aerodynamics because of the very risk of wind and the danger of, you know, a 70 pound or 70 kilo rider on a 160 kilo bike getting blown off via a 40 mile an hour gust. Um, that might be a problem. Um, so yeah, like this is the one round you're allowed to take some of your winglets off your bike um and reduce some of the aerodynamics because for that very reason it can get dangerous and for what it's worth in my humble opinion they handled this about as well as they reasonably could this it was smart they used the weather and they used the forecasts to in advance to better schedule their weekend do you you want to protect the grand prix at all costs ideally and I, I, it's it's not been mentioned much but shout out to the promoters who did a brilliant job of basically saying hey if you've got a sunday race ticket it's now eligible for saturday so everybody gets in for the full weekend so well done philip island's promoters for that as well for what it's worth because i know that couldn't have been an easy decision um financially but they 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 did the right thing and that, and they made sure everybody tried to get to see something it's a shame it did have a negative effect on the attendance because i think we only got eighteen thousand on race day which is a real shame but obviously i think people had seen the weather forecast and thought well there's a good chance we're not going to get any racing and probably just didn't bother coming um but reasonably i think they just about got it right i think swapping the grand prix was the right move because we got a full grand prix that was largely unaffected on saturday the sprint was always going to be the one to be sacrificed in that situation they tried to run earlier again 
it was the right move because if they'd gone under the original Sunday schedule, we probably wouldn't have had any racing whatsoever. <laughs> we got, and I think you can back me up here on this one, Cam. Moto3 was just about raceable. I think it was right on the borderline of potentially too much. Yeah, you know, typically I'm one of those people who in a sicko sort of way actually doesn't really mind racing in the rain but across the moto three race it was kind of ebbing and flowing of whether this was really raceable anymore thankfully the relatively low power of those bikes um and the fact that the wind wasn't too bad i think we were just about okay with moto three yeah, um just about and thankfully we did we did get a full race distance there um we did have a few people go down but it was pretty much single bike incidents Mm -hmm. um because it also had the the adverse effect of actually stringing out the grid which we usually don't see here ironically a wet moto free race is often safer than a dry one in a weird way shouldn't really be possible is it um this is the only series in the world where this happens but it it does in in tony arbolino won the moto 2 race by 14 seconds well when it was called yeah he was putting boots to asses during that moto 2 race he he was he was in a class of one yeah he had um (laughs) completely dominated the moto 2 race the, the game part of this was because a lot of the people around him crashed because the wind was picking up but even so like arbolino was a second a lap faster than everybody else on track at, at a certain point yeah. um and, and pedro yeah. acosta had, had to start the race from the back of the field because he crashed in his reconnaissance lap to the grid <laughs> We we did mention it at the time during the race, but we we did like that little bit on the uh, graphics of Dorna putting everyone on Pedro watch. Yes, they. The, if you ever watch a MotoGP race or any many Moto class race, if there's an if there's a, a designated bike with an onboard, they can now enhance the timing tower on the left hand side to incorporate the full onboard of the bike, and they immediately put it to Pedro Acosta trying to work his way up through the field. It's like we know this man won a race from pit lane. <laughs> we're gonna try this again, and this time we're gonna have the onboard footage to prove it. Um, and yes, it, it, it made for some entertaining television because Acosta was flying up the field. Um, I think he was ninth by the time they called it, um, and rode brilliantly um to do so but but you know put boots to asses and a beat them down of the year contender um before they called it after nine laps now the rules are in moto 2 that if you do not get to 66 percent race distance um and you cannot restart the, the race in a reasonable time which is normally quick nothing that impedes the hour before moto gp goes on tv um they will own they only give out half points so annoyingly for arbolino he we dominated that race but only got 12 and a half points for winning which is unfortunate <laughs> but yeah um, he needs all the help he can get uh but but i mean the th- the defining thing with moto 2 really watching it um wasn't just the rain because i'd say the rain was fairly similar to moto 3 we were watching trees bow over on themselves in the background and that's when a couple people started going down and that's where we had to decide you know, this is it the, the yeah. this is too much and i think they got the lap just about right 
again thankfully no yeah. one no one the, got particularly hurt that was, um, that was just maybe one lap too late but maybe. i mean maybe one lap too late but i think timing was about right on that i i do wonder if they knew this was coming was it even but is it was it even worth running i wonder it was, it was my only question mark about that because they knew they were going to be right on top of it um and look they've got weather radars they've got access to what's coming in on on the pit walls um isn't it's just the same as formula one they got the same system so i'm, I'm surprised they even decided to to run moto 2 at all given they knew what was about to happen do you, you know a moto 2 race is going to go about 35 40 minutes and not even half distance we had cancelable weather it's it's a little bit silly to me but yeah i mean I think they did the best they could with what they had. Mm. But this was another one of those genuine act of God situations where, I mean, we saw in the background, the lap that they called it. You can see, cause there is a lot of wooded area and a couple of areas around the track. And I mean, the, the trees are practically snapping off their, <laughs> off their yeah. bases. Yeah. Um, this, this was, yeah, and it, it was, never it got was... any better. It actually it... got worse, mm. uh, worse and worse. And we saw, I mean, we were sitting in the Discord call, and there was a pre-race, not that we got a race, a pre-race riders meeting where everyone said, it's not happening. Um, yeah, the, the team bosses, I yeah. mean, I mean, okay, I don't normally praise them, but I will on this case. TNT Sports did a very good job on this one of pinching important people to one side and getting the scoop before anybody else got them. Um, and... Yeah, I think it was uh, Francesco Godotti at uh, KTM that they were able to pull something, and, and he was just like, mm-hmm. he couldn't outright say it because they wanted to check he the radar first. But he didn't say it with his words. But it was, but it was kind of obvious that we're not racing. And about ten minutes later, they put the official announcement out that the sprint was cancelled. Um, oh, the Grand Prix, like, the well, Grand Prix itself. Well, the, the Grand Prix itself was the day before, but the sprint was obviously was, yeah. was cancelled. But yeah, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> brain, work, brain, worky, good. <laughs> it's it's an easy mistake to make. Um, no, and I, I wanted to to draw highlight to a point that uh, Andrew in our, our new Patreon backer, hi Andrew, has made Andrew. in the chat. Um, as he's yeah, he, he got he got the memo pretty quickly, which I do I do appreciate. Um, saying in the chat, Diego Moreira not knowing where he was after the warm-up lap. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I was tempted to call an audible um, and mention it myself with given our script. And I was just going to say, look, we've talked about this before and I will say it again on the record. The fact that the team was so comfortable putting out there that, that, that Diego Moreira did not know where he was after the warm-up lap because like Acosta, he crashed on the reconnaissance lap to the grid they were trying to fix his bike so he could be ready to take the start Marrera did not know where he was he openly admitted he was knocked out cold by the crash he was allowed to race 10 minutes later not really what? acceptable is it, it is, no I mean it's, we, it's, we, we've yeah. spoken at length about the concussion protocol or lack thereof uh, in the sport, and this was just one more in a increasingly big pile of uh, crashes where Dorna just has no protocol on this. Yeah, Jason the Chalice says, wasn't he bleed to that? Uh, that was Danny Holgado. 
It was a two separate incidents. Elgardo, yeah, when he crashed on the reconnaissance lap as well, I think part of his helmet snapped off and cut him in the face. So you see, again, clearly suffered a head trauma, and he was checked and he was allowed to compete. I and yeah, that ain't right. <laughs> look, I got to be careful how I word this because I know that not everybody in Dorna feels this way about this. And I know that a lot of them are on the same page that we are, but ultimately it comes from the top. Um, this is completely unacceptable. It is 2023. Every sporting series on earth needs a concussion protocol. All of them. Every single there is no excuse anymore, given how far along the way we are when it comes to knowing what we know about concussions and head trauma and head injuries within sport. At this point, it is completely unacceptable for any major sport, especially one as dangerous as MotoGP, where we've had multiple rider fatalities in the last decade alone. We should not be. We need a concussion protocol. We needed it yesterday, let alone now. And it is completely unacceptable that we are letting riders who were knocked out ride a motorcycle at 150 miles an hour minutes later. At that point, you are a danger to yourself and the other people around you. And. <laughs> I don't. Is, is it going to take another fatality? Like I, 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 I mentioned this during during Banyaya's incident in Catalonia, and I don't want to get my dander up and get angry about this again, because I know how poorly that was handled. I have I have to stress this again. Is it going to take somebody dying from second impact syndrome before somebody gets a clue? Because I, I can't you know, enough. SIS can kill. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if if the course does not change, we are going to have to open one of these shows talking about a, fa a fatal traumatic brain injury because someone had a previous TBI that wasn't diagnosed or wasn't treated properly. And, I don't want to yeah. do that. Um, and we we have it on good enough authority because we do have wonderful connections here and there that we, we, don't, we don't need to spell out what we, we don't need to spell this. it out uh, and i won't spell it out but we know that there are people in dorna who are mortified at the current situation there's also clearly people who do not give a shit at some point something has to change they all gotta get on the same page they got to get on the same page and the people who do care and do want to see the change need to be enabled to make that change. Bike racing is already dangerous enough. Exactly. It's one of the most dangerous sports on earth. You're Without throwing a leg over a 300 and some change horsepower carbon fiber missile with no protection other than your leathers and your airbags. I, I cannot stress this enough. We are talking about bikes that have the better part of two thousand brake horsepower per ton at this point. That's fast. You need to have your wit. You need to have all of your senses at ten tenths at all times. You cannot have someone who is concussed competing around other people in the same situation. No, 
is um, it's going to end dangerous. in disaster. I, I, I meant when I wrote about Philip Island on the website, I referenced a video I made talking about this in 2016 when Danilo Petrucci rode at Aragon when he was back at Pramac. Remember those days? Yeah, like, I remember this. Yeah, I, I embarrassingly lose TJ Perkins' WWE theme in the video. Do not ask me why I thought that was a good idea. You know, we, didn't, we didn't think TJ Perkins was that much of a sleazebag, but that's neither here nor there. But the big the thing to know is that Danilo Petrucci rode around with a head injury. Yeah, he did. He openly admitted he didn't know where he was on track when he was riding in an F pre free session minutes after he'd already crashed. It's completely unacceptable. That was seven years ago. That was seven, seven years, years ago. ago, and nothing's changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. I've, I've heard more incidents regarding riders being allowed to compete with head injuries in the in recent years. I remember Tets Nagashima in Moto Two it was like Akiyo admitted he rode while concussed that race weekend. You know, Dennis Onchu was knocked out in a Moto Three. I think it was at Masano last year. He was knocked out cold, and he was allowed to continue the rest of the weekend. This cannot happen. It's completely it, unacceptable. Some, something is going to give, and it's going to be someone's life. Cam, I, I can't stress this enough. Someone is going to die on a track from SIS one day, and we're not going to figure out why for years later. And it's going to be the most terrifying, tragic story. No, uh, it doesn't need to happen. It, it, it doesn't it's, need to fucking happen. And, and I don't Andrew, want to uh, open one of these shows talking about how we lost a rider in an entirely preventable way and andrew said it himself in the chat it's also sad how the teams don't pull them out completely agreed Compl the teams have got to take some degree of responsibility i talked about it with mark marquez in 2020 for some stupid reason honda thought it was a good idea to let a man ride a motorcycle five days after he broke his arm this is Look how dumb that turned sport. out. Look how that turned out for them. It's cost them four years of Mark Marquez's effective career. It cost them Mark Marquez. Because and we're no, three weeks from the end of the season. We don't. We don't even know who's going to be riding that bike because no one wants that poison chalice. We'll get them. to that a little bit later. Yeah, well, I'll talk about that a little bit towards the end of the show because um, it doesn't happen in just, my any other business tab. But this, yeah. Yeah, at some like, point, Dre, those mm. who do care within the power structure Adorna, they need to be allowed to, they need to be in position to take action or nothing's ever going to yeah. change. You need, you need a full, like, I cannot stress this enough. In the UK, sport all the way down to the grassroots <laughs> level is now have a concussion policy. We, we literally, one of the few good things the Tories have done in the last decade was mandate a policy of, if in doubt, pull them out. That is the phrase we literally use in this country to describe a concussion injury. If you think there is even a hint that someone has suffered a head trauma, you pull them out immediately and you get them checked. It's that simple. If we can do that on a grassroots level, there is no There's reason no why... There's no excuse for top... Top flight motorsport, because this is the pinnacle of motorsport on two wheels. Absolutely. There is no excuse. You've got more than enough resources, and if you haven't got the right people, hire them. They are out there. You have the power. Do it. it like, this, this sport cannot afford another PR disaster as another mainline rider fatality. It, it cannot afford that luxury. 
it, like there are a lot of people that I know that will that love motorsport that will never watch a MotoGP race because they're that scared someone's going to kill themselves on a bike. I don't blame these people. The last thing we need to do is push them towards <coughs> that goal by not having a concussion protocol. It Billion needs to happen sport. today. Million dollar sport. Right. Ten dollar solutions. It's um, nonsense. Let's so, talk about the race itself. Yeah, let's talk about the Grand Prix itself. Jorge Martin took a major gamble in picking the soft rear tire during the race, with the majority of the field taking the medium. Martin shot off to an early three-and-a-half-second lead, but as the race reached the climax, the chasing pack of Francesco Bagnaia, Brad Binder, Johan Sarko, and Fabio Antonio all closed in, and on the final lap, Johan Sarko passed Martin at Miller Corner to hold on to finally... Finally, after seven years in the Premier Class, take his first MotoGP win. Bagnaia was second. Dacia was third for his first ever Grand Prix podium finish. Who knows if it's too early, too late to save his job, but Johan Sarko finally gets it done. <laughs> the Canal Plus commentators can finally stop hyping up this being the race where Jorge, Johan Zarco finally is going to win it. Find the clip. Find the clip. It's hilarious. They lost their they lost their collective shit. It was glorious. Um, and I, 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 I think can blame they've them. waited. I think they've waited long enough. I think we all waited long enough. Yeah, okay, none of us more so. It. What'd you make into it? What'd you make of this? Johan Sarko won a fucking MotoGP race. About <laughs> fucking time. Honestly, look, I wrote about this and I immediately drew parallels and anyone who's a secret base fan will know exactly what I'm about to say here. Dave Steeb. This was a Dave Steeb moment right here. This was Dave Steeb finally reaching the promised land. For those who don't know, this was Johan Zarko's 120th premier class start he had been nearly seven years since he'd last won <clears throat> his last moto 2 race he still he stayed in moto 2 for an extra year to try and angle himself for a, for a better seat um he's the only two-time moto 2 world champion um of this era and he he ha- he'd already broken the record for the most podium finishes without a win he had 19 of them going into this race Let's not forget, Johan Zarco could have won on debut. That's right. I was just about to bring that up. He had half a chance, more than half a chance, to win his very first race in the Premier Class of Guitar, and it just didn't work out. But you're thinking, right. Didn't work out that time, but surely that first win is right around the corner. And it was. There's a long <laughs> corner. It, 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 it just, uh, that, that Qatar race in 2016, where he was leading by two and a half seconds, he'd actually broken the pack, which is incredibly hard to do in Qatar. He broke the pack and then he binned it. And I'm like, Sarko, you did the hard part. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, it's just, it's the Forza Motorsport of race performances. Um, no. <laughs> and, and, and just as well, like on what was at that point, remember satellite bikes were very different at that time. Those they were still basically, that was a parts bin Yamaha. Yeah. That, Yamaha was good. Yeah, this was back in the day. This was only just started to open the checkbooks for satellite teams to get more financial support in 2016. Like that was their spirit of the open class mentality that just started coming into play around that sort of time. But it was still incredibly rare for a satellite team 
to be leading a MotoGP race. Not even like Jack Miller when he won in Aston, where, okay, Miller had a lot of help from wet conditions. Zarco did this without shenanigans, without rain, and he was leading that race on merit when he crashed. Like, this this was not a fluke. This was a sign that Zarco could have been absolutely world-class, and it just didn't happen in terms of getting that next win. I remember Argentina in 2018, where he lost by two bike lengths to Cal Crutchlow. Remember that one? The famous don't doubt me race for Cal Crutchlow, yep. where he stares dead into the camera and was like, don't doubt me. <laughs> uh, he'd just <laughs> become a dad. And that was like his tribute win. Um, and Zarco nearly won there. I remember... Danny Pedrosa's final Grand Prix win at Valencia in 2017. Who was second that day? Johan Zarco. He was beaten over the line in the last lap dogfight. I wasn't sure this was ever going to happen. He had led 91 laps in his Grand Prix career without winning. Until that race. I mean, we, we talked about him at length as possibly the greatest rider to never win a race. Well, we can't say that anymore. He got one. And... Like and I mentioned Dave Steeb, like Dave Steeb's no hitter in this. Like if it's is it's a borrow the line from John Boys, it happened just in time because we all know his future. He's going to the Honda he's going to Honda next year. The door was probably about to slam shut on him being able to win one of these compared to what he's on now, which is arguably the best bike in the field, the Pramat Ducati, the the team that is likely almost certainly going to win the team's championship at the end of the season. Um, the best team in MotoGP, the best bike in MotoGP, and Zarco has been outshone by Jorge Martin this year. So there was a very real possibility that that first win was never going to happen. Um, and he was running out of time rapidly. And just in the same way that Steve got his no-hitter before the Bone Spurs would eventually derail his career Zarko got his first win right as the door was probably about to close on his we're, we're probably going to think of Johan Zarko's time at Honda as that time where Dave Steve was a member of the Chicago White Sox for two weeks <laughs> oh god uh, that, that's pretty accurate honestly yeah. um, sadly but uh, save us for mean <laughs> yeah and I mean he had to get it the hard way as well because this was not an easy win at all. No, Phillip Island usually produces these just multi-rider slog fests. This one was a little different. This one was a bit more of a slow burn. <sighs> Jorge Martin, why are you the way that you are? For those who are missing the context or maybe missed this race, this was a race where everybody was told do not pick the soft tire there was like martin was the only top tier runner besides mark marquez who gambled on a soft rear tire everybody else was on the medium the medium held up over the grand prix fine jorge martin rips off a three and a half second lead early doors in this race and you're thinking, well, that's it. Martin's gone. But with eight laps to go, you start seeing that gap come down. And I'm like, uh-oh. And then we got a close-up of his rear tire, and we saw bits coming off of it. It was gone. It was gone, gone. And 
you know what happens when like I like Cam, you'll remember this one. Do you remember in 2016 when Mark Marquez was dominating Argentina and then he just saw that tire shred towards the end of that race as Valentino Rossi gunned him down? Yeah. And the this rear was tire was just melting. This was this was this was the, the carbon cop this was the carbon copy. <laughs> this was this was and, that. And the thing that I don't get is that Jorge Martin put down half a second on the field in qualifying to take pole. It was a he, stunning lap. It was a, it was an he obliterated his own lap record. It was one of the it was the lap of the year from a qualifying standpoint in any series I've watched this year. It was an astonishing pole time. <laughs> he did not need to run the soft tire. No. You're the fastest man in the sport at the moment. Why do you feel the need to gamble on this? Were you that afraid of a dogfight? Was is that it? The Philip Island, the way it's an equalizing track, you maybe didn't want to take your chances on on a wheel to wheel fight. I, I don't know. That that had to have been the logic. His logic had to have been, I can break this field. Maybe he and he did. You know he, the the thing is, Dre. If the race was one lap shorter, he would have got away with it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't one lap shorter, and he didn't get away with it because on the last lap, his tire just completely went, and he crashed from, not literally, but he went down from first to fifth. Ferocious block pass by Zarco to get the lead, and he just tumbled from there. Yeah, he came across the line. Jorge Martin was seven tenths of a second off the win. He finished in fifth. And Banyar didn't even win this race. And Banyar never looked like he was going to win this race. He ended up going away with second. And second, but more importantly, plus nine points on Martin. And there was no sprint for Martin to recover from because that got cancelled a day later. So it was just a straight nine-point loss for Martin in, 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 in his title fight. And as Cam alluded to, that's the beauty and and the evilness of sport sometimes, where if that race was eight corners shorter, Jorge Martin wins it, and we call him a genius for taking the gamble. But now we call him a villain and an idiot because he got it wrong by half a lap. That's, that's sport for you. <laughs> it, it's, it's, really, it really is. Um, and the thing is, is that, again, he got all the hard part right. <laughs> He got the hard part. He put down the qualifying lap. Banyaya still doesn't look like himself. Neither factory Ducatis really look like themselves right now. Um, no. But on race day, Banyaya is still Peko Banyaya. He still has the pace. He still has the racecraft. And he can recover from what's been going on in qualifying. And he's been doing that. He's been saving his season by being able to recover on race day. Um, maybe a little bit of that Valentino Rossi Sunday man is uh, showing through. <coughs> but Jorge Martin had the field dead to rights in Phillip Island and left an open goal. And he doesn't have a lot of these left. He's right. He's like, okay. Well, obviously we'll get to Biru Ram in a moment. And obviously that will, um, you know, it kind of flips will, the script back if, around a little bit. It it does, but the, at the time we were thinking this might be a title-defining mistake from Martin again. I think it still might be. It, if he loses it by less than nine, we're going to have a conversation about this weekend again. Crashes happen; they can happen to anybody. God damn it! The reigning world champs had his fair share. That's one thing. 
this was a race that Martin should have won. Really, this was this like in Indonesia was one thing. I can understand the laps in concentration when you're three and a half seconds in front. That. Yeah, it's bad, but I can understand why it happens. It can happen to anybody. Banyaya, again, has had his fair share of those days too. This, this was an open goal. This was, you were the fastest man here by miles. You did not need to take this gamble in order to win this race. Like, for the one time Jorge Martin didn't bet against himself, cost him dearly. And that is alarming to me, that a rider of his confidence in his speed, which is unmatched in this sport at the moment, did that. Bizarre. But that's the thing, Dre. The thing is that it's a whole new day, it's a whole new week, and the whole outlook can change because you fast forward one week to Bury Ram Thailand, and this time Jorge Martin did do the job. He did the double. Seventh sprint win, fourth Grand Prix win of 2023, and this might have been the finest of all, and this might have been the race of the year. Phillip Island was race of the year for a whole week, and then Burry Ram came around. Martin had an intense lights-to-flag fight with KTM's Brad Bender and Pekka Bagnaia. Once again, hanging around in the leading group, Bagnaia helped try to hellacious double Hail Mary overtake in the final quarter, but Martin held his nerve with a perfect final lap to win. Bagnaia was promoted to second after Bender got a track limits, final lap, one position deduction. <sighs> Fellas, was this the race of the year? It doesn't seem like it's a tough question. No, no doubt for me. Absolutely, no doubt for me. The only two races that came close was Philip Island the week before, and probably Germany at the Saxon Ring was the only other one I would say would be the contender. Ironically, a Martin Bagnaia dogfight for the win um, in its own right, and this was very much in the same mold as that. First of all, on a side note. Brad Binder for the third time gets a final lap trailer limits deduction. Come on, Brad, for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> Feels <laughs> really <laughs> weird, but Brad Binder has not had a feature race win since like mid-21. It's been over two years since Brad Binder won a Grand Prix. He's huh? won sprints. He's had, he's had two sprint wins this year, but he's not won a Grand Prix in over two and a half years. Weird. Given we all know it, how it good Brad feel Binder that is. Way. No, you're right. it, it feels like, because you know what it is? Brad been the one that hellaciously freaky race in Austria as his last Grand Prix win. Binder's been a lot better and has probably now certified himself as an elite level MotoGP rider, but he's done so without winning. Like, it's really weird in that, like, like the nearest he probably came was Haref. He had a shot to go for a last corner dive bomb, but Binder openly admitted he pulled out of it. He didn't want, he reckons if he had tried it, they'd have both gone down. Um, and that's why he didn't go for the last corner Lorenzo dive bomb at, at her F, um, the final lap of that race against Manny. The point notwithstanding, it's amazing how the tables can turn in a week. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I mean, this was. Not just the race of the year. I would go one further and say it was also the most important win of Jorge Martin's life. This was an incredible performance from Martin because, and I think Cam again will back me up on this. It was a fascinating race because they were both stronger on different parts of the track, and that's what made it such a fascinating race. Yeah, the, like, the gap between the two riders was, or between the three of them, really, because uh, it was. Um, Martin, Bender, and Benyaya. All three of them were strong 
in different parts of the track. So the gap mm. between the three, at some points you could throw a blanket over all three bikes, was ebbing and flowing constantly. Like, I, watched the highlights of, I watched the highlights of this and like they didn't take the camera off of those lead guys for pretty much the entire highlight reel and it's like oh, okay with this yeah and nothing else important was going on yeah brad binder i don't think was ever more than seven or eight temps off of martin the entire race it was that close the whole way through i don't know what the what the tire pressure was or was on that ktm by the time the race was over it was probably at about 80 psi um because uh he he, he was on martin's ass like glue the whole way through and martin was so good in sectors one and two which, which was all long straights heavy breaking into that double apex right hander at the bottom of the hill uh, and then on the run down towards the, te- the technical section. Uh, but once you got to sector three, bad Brad Binder was 0.3, 0.4 a lap faster through the back half of that track. It was exactly f- where the two bikes differ and what they're good at and what they're not. Um, <laughs> and both of them just I mean, there was a couple of there was a couple of shots on the final, I think, two or three laps where Jorge Martin is genuinely sideways. Yeah, and he looks the- like he's about to high side the bike. And, and he holds and, it. And that's been the specialty. We all know the man can basically power slide a MotoGP bike when he needs to. Um, it's And that's where he was so good. Those massive changes of direction you get through sectors three and four. And hell, shout out to Francesco Bagnaia for almost pulling off the pass of the century, trying to go around the outside of the pair of them with two laps to go. Um, that was a trier. That was... A, a, Cam, that was the run of the gods coming out of the penultimate corner. Like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, Bender and Martin kind of impeded each other, reacting to one another. And here comes Benyaya flying up on the outside. Now, I think if he had gone for the move, I think he probably drops the bike because there is no grip out there. So he did back out of it a little bit early. But holy shit, just the visual of him flying around the outside of two competitors on the outside of a corner. On bikes, you usually don't get to see passes around the outside, let alone ones that are that uh, audacious. If you ever played the Super Smash Brothers games where you can now choose your difficulty level, this is at nine where it's at nothing harder. Like, this is a ten. This difficulty level, impossible, (laughs) or what he was trying to pull off there, and he very nearly did. Like, Martin did the smart thing. He rolled off the throttle, let the bike naturally run wide, and Manaya had to ultimately back out of it. But he was this close to the past of the century. Um, just an unbelievable bit of bike riding. And then once again, Banyaya plays it smart and, and got second place out of it, which is what he needs to do. Um, I still don't think he's 100% right now. Um, I, I, something in that in that Ducati is not clicking in the back half of the year for Peko, and I'm not quite sure what it is. They, they keep saying, oh, I figured it out, I figured it out, we figured it out. And it just doesn't, and he just because, doesn't qualify well. He, yeah. he he makes up for it on Sunday every time, but on raw one lap pace, the factory Ducatis are not in a good spot right now. And the funny thing is, is that <laughs> and I make this point in, in the DRR I wrote about it. Banyaya's great ability at the start of this season was to sprint race. He was racking up sprint wins like crazy when everybody else was crashing around him. It's now become his weakness because Jorge Martin has won the last five sprints. <laughs> well, if, I, if it fits Banyaya well, it fits Martin even better to run the sprint because it's basically no strategy, just vibes, just go hot lap. 
and Martin is one of the fastest bike riders for raw speed we have ever seen. It's been a consistent trait of his through the classes. If there's one thing you associate with Jorge Martin, it is breakneck, body-breaking speed. Um, that's what he does. Better than anyone I've, I've seen on, a, on two wheels, maybe ever. Um, he's disgustingly good at that kind of race. And like I said, Martin has won seven sprint races this year and the, and the last five. He's, it's making Banyaya's life more difficult than it needs to. And now, as we leave Thailand and we get into this triple header finale, we, we got Sepang this weekend. It's 13 points between Banyaya in front and Martin from behind. And I genuinely don't know which way this title's going right now. It's just going to depend whose bozo gene rears its ugly head at the wrong time. Because they both got it. What one crash can now determine this title? I think one crash will determine this title. If one of those two crash and the other person wins, it could be game over. If if Martin if Banyaya makes one more mistake, it will let Martin right in through the back door. If Martin bins it from here, he's not going to get another chance to make those points up in time. That's no. how I look at it. It's it, it could be a case of first mistake loses. Well, I wonder if that mistake has already occurred with the Phillip Island, with the soft tire gamble, because if that nine points, it's so crucial now. Mm. You swing that back, it's less than a, uh, the gap between first and second for a race win. I, I My gut tells me I think Martin reels him in. And if that happens, could you imagine what it's going to be like at the factory Ducati team next year if Jorge Martin shows up on his brand new 2024 Pramac Ducati satellite bike with the number one plate. Sickos, go down like a lead balloon. Sicko's JPEG. Like, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you saw it, Cam, but after the Grand Prix on Saturday, when Mar like when Zarco took that win, Davide Tardozzi, who we all know for insane Davide Tardozzi bullshit. Very, very expressive man. A very expressive man did his usual shtick where he went to Pramac and congratulated the Pramac team, um, Junibor Soy and the uh, G and Pramac team for the win. He looked very stoic and was not his usual uh, bubbling self. Ducati are nervous. I think they're genuinely nervous their man might get beaten here because right now on current form, if you take mistakes off the table, Martin's the faster man at the moment, without question. Has been for the last three or four rounds, no? It, it's very strange, isn't it, that these two riders who are both phenomenally talented, they both have all the hard parts down. Yeah. It's the silly shit where the two of them keep dropping points. Absolutely. And and I do agree with you and uh, Andrew in the chat that if it's on pure speed, Jorge Martin is faster than Peko Benyaya right now. Agreed. Um, 100%, 100%, Andrew. But if you're losing a consistency battle to Peko Benyaya, what the hell are you doing? Because it's, I just don't know. Hmm. I feel like Martin is going to throw a Hail Mary when he doesn't have to. And he's either he's going to put the bike on the deck or he's going to drop 
a really critical result, and that's going to give Peko enough cushion to ride to basically just take the points. I know Peko Benyaya basically doesn't take the points. We've been screaming at him too for years, but he has the last, the last two or three rounds, and he's he's done. He's not he's not given Martin an inch on this one, and that was I think I think Benyaya gave it all he had in 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 Buriram, but he just wasn't as fast as like he got lucky on this one because Binder once again put a wheel on the green. He got he he was given a gift of four extra points. Uh, well, what are the other riders going to have to say about this? Because it's not just these two fighting for wins. We've got the VR46 Ducatis. And of course, Pazeki's nursing a broken collarbone right now. But if he... We all know best again, can win. If he peaks again, he's going to take points off of these two. Because his peaks are as high, if not higher, than these two. If Brad Binder gets involved again, and he just did, he is the only man who can consistently take the fight to the Ducks. Like, if if Fabio Quattararo shows up again on the podium, which, again, Fabio Quattararo is doing all he can these days. We've got Qatar next week. That's an equalizing round. For me, that's anyone's game. Qatar tends to be a pack race. We've seen it before. Repsol Honda was competitive there the last time we raced there, remember? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They were, um, though. Paul Spagaro put it on the podium that day. <laughs> and that's as good as that year got. Right. Yeesh. I've got a question is here. <laughs> Go on. Does Ducati pull team orders? If Ducati pulls team orders, they are chicken shit. <laughs> But I, also, I, I, I am opening the most devilish of Pandora's box because MotoGP teams, generally speaking, don't talk about team orders. But I'm starting to get the impression they've done it before. They've done it before. They, they, they did it very famously. Jorge Lorenzo's mapping eight. Last throw of the dice. Mapping eight. Um, I think Jorge Martin tells them to go in fuck no themselves. uncertain terms. Go fuck themselves. Oh yeah, um, we, we, I mean, no, we we know they'll ignore it, but will Ducati play that? Will Ducati let Jorge Martin win this title? I wonder. The fact that we've even got to think about that question kind of says it all. The fact that I'm not if, sure if what they, the answer to that do, is. Interesting. If they do, they are unconscionable cowards. Yeah, and it, it will go down like a lead balloon in Monogy because this is the best title fight we've had in years. This is the only title fight we've had in years. It's the best title last, fight. For last year was a hydrogen bomb versus coughing baby after a certain point. Yeah, like the air got taken out of our sails when Quattararo crashed it for the part of the like two like a year ago. Like th- this is the best title fight MotoGP has had since I want to say 2016. Uh, yeah. I would say I would say 15, 17 sorry. or 18 with uh, Davi v Mark. Um, those are but the even, last two where we even had yeah. a fight. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, it's just like the fact that I'm not sure what the answer to that question is. Will they play the team orders card? Kind of says it all to me. They will get crucified. They might if they pull team orders. They might just they it might just come to that though because David 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 Tardozzi is like like let's speak to you this way. He'd be the worst poker player in the world. Oh no, the the, the worst. Yeah. 
That's all I'm saying. I'm putting the seed out there. Also, before we get out of here as well, just just before we move on, Fermin Aldeguer, Repsol Honda. Bad idea or terrible idea? Um, uh, well, nobody... Oh, oh, I Y'all said nobody else wants to ride that bike, and I guess anecdotally they can look back at the last time they gambled on a teenager to help be the new number one guy at the team. A win it or bin it Moto Two rider who only just came with a, into a brush with success, riding that pile of junk. Fermin Aldeguer is a very talented bike rider. Let's not um, let, let's not doubt that for a minute. He's still only eighteen. He has a pair of most. He's incredibly quick. He's got a pair of Moto Two wins to his name already, which is no easy task. And for what for me is the most difficult championship to consistently win in, in maybe all of motorsports. Um, he's an impressively talented rider. He is not what Honda needs. Just Honda, just he play is the it. antithesis of what Honda needs. Don't be silly. Just, just take DJ Antonio. He's the best rider available. I don't think Fabio is what they need either, but that's all that's left for them to pick. Is there a better idea? There isn't one. Don't, d- don't show up next year. You know that's not an option. So Ichiro Honda and his spirit will will not let that happen. No. No, they only they only let it happen in Formula One when it suits them. Exactly. Um, that's happened a lot, that, but they're they're they're, tur- they're turbo screwed. There might be some words from me in the race about this in the coming days about what to do with the running with his triple header, but. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you lot on the spot before we get out of here. We've got three races left. Who wins this championship? Mm. Um, um, I'm pretty confident I'm... my pick was wrong for the season. I'm just gonna put that out there. You picked you picked Mark Marquez. I picked Francesco yes. Bagnaia to retain. What if neither of us are gonna win our diecast? <laughs> We will we will buy each we, about to lose. we will buy each other diecasts as tribute. <laughs> Fuck. It's like wait, we we didn't expect this. Um, um honestly. <laughs> I think I think Martin gets it. Bad guy for me. I'm going to stick with my gut and say Banyaya, but right now I think Martin should be Bookie's favorite. I think he's uh, in a... It's, it's so close. It, they it, both have mitigating factors with one another. They do. They do. I think you go with current form. I, I, I would not blame you for picking Martin at all here in this circumstance, because you know what? He's behind, which never helps. But he's the faster man right now. Without question, he's the faster man in, in terms of the two right now. But we I, I all think, know... I think the job is simpler for Mar- Martin right now. Keep it up, You're behind. Right? You win. Yeah, like, keep it up. Yeah. Keep your nose clean. You're probably going to win because you he can't match you on sprints. He can't match you in qualifying. Death, it, it's, it's, it's death by a thousand cuts. But we all know both of these men... Have a bad case of the dropsies. <laughs> the bozo gene. Goodness only knows where this goes from here. And it's, that's why it's the most fascinating title fight we've had in years. 
Three rounds to go. Next up, Sepang this weekend. One of my favorites on the MotoGP calendar. I do love me some Malaysian Grand Prix action. Going to be a fascinating Grand Prix. Remember, Jorge Martin led this race last year until he didn't. Uh, okay. just... And it, what's the forecast this week, Dre? Uh, um, <clears throat> rain. The big piss. Every the... day of this week. The big piss is expected all three days. We're also getting ourselves a surprise Alvaro Bautista, are we not? We are. Alvaro Bautista will make a wildcard appearance this weekend um, uh, as a third Ducati, the reigning world superbike champion, putting that one of the great superbike seasons of all time this year to retain his crown. Congrats to him. Well, I've loved the gold suit action, by the way. Um, looking forward to seeing how he gets on in that. Because not as much as your brother. Are we, are we, are we, not possible. Brother Ryan still had to be scraped down from the ceiling afterwards. Um, All I'm saying is, Troy Bayless moment? We've heard stranger oh, things happens. in this sport. Mm. Oh, I, I've, I, I, okay, you would be able to hear Brother Ryan from across the Atlantic if he won a MotoGP I, race as a wildcard. This is what it would mean to go even further beyond. Because Batista's never won a top flight race. Never had the equipment to. The best he ever got was a satellite Honda. <laughs> Hell of a lot better now. Gonna have a full, a full fat GP23 to ride. Oh yeah, it's, it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating race weekend. And hey, the rain is the great equalizer. Look, if it rains, I wouldn't rule out Mark Marquez for a win. Just throwing he that out there. How poetic that would be. How <laughs> undeserving that bike would be. One final, as he would say, poetry podium, like he got in Mategi. We'll have we'll have to wait and see. It is I, I can't wait. This is a fascinating title decider. Three rounds to settle it. Sapang this weekend. Formula One has the week off. Thank Christ. Um, I guess I, I get to actually put my head down and rest for a day. Calm. Looking forward to that. Um, F1 is back in Vegas next week. That'll be our next episode. But MotoGP wise, Sapang, Sapang, Sapang. Qatar the week afterwards, and then the traditional season finale at Valencia. We're doing a MotoGP race in the last week in November. What the fuck are we doing here? This schedule is fucking ridiculous. Anyway, that'll do it for this episode of Motorsport 101. Thank you very much for watching um, uh, or, or listening, since independent on who you are. We'll be back next week for Vegas and for MotoGP in Sepang. I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Until next time, sayonara. Later, y'all. Funny how we've shot on bikes all year, but now we're so excited for bikes. This is what bikes does to us. Never in doubt. <laughs>